When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On today's podcast, writer and documentarian Charlie Hill-Smith joins me to discuss his new comic book creation, CSA, Crime Scene Australia. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I wish I could afford to kick this off with The Who's Barbara O'Reilly, here on Big Squid. Hello, I hope you're well today and ready for a lively conversation with my old pal, Charlie Hill-Smith. Charlie has made some fantastic documentaries over the past few years, including Strange Birds in Paradise, A West Papian Story, and Motorkite Dreaming, which you can watch as a movie and also as a TV series. Uh, Charlie's fantastic. He is an old friend of mine, and his new comic, CSA, Crime Scene Australia, takes a satirical look back at history, and with his team of artists and researchers, really delves into the lost stories we fail to teach in our schooling system. I think this will be an extremely interesting uh, listen for all of you big squitters out there, uh, especially our friends overseas, actually. I think you'll be in for a really fascinating chat. And as I said, old pal of mine. So you you might even hear some uh, old (laughs) comedy war stories. Anyway, I I shouldn't get ahead of myself. We've got a few quick things to mention before we bring Charlie in. Keep an eye out for one more podcast coming out this week. I reckon it might drop Friday or Saturday. Uh... Depending on timing, uh, depending on scheduling, depending on when we can record and when I can get it up, uh, you know, uploaded, that is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I was about to tell you that this is with Adam Richard, but after that little carry-on comment, uh, you can probably tell that Adam is going to pop in this. Anyway, uh, we went and saw Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and we have some thoughts. So what I'm going to try and do is... The schedule this year has been insane and it has been really hard for me to keep up with because there has been no rhythm to it. It's it's been stop-start, it's busy, then it's suddenly heaps of time and then it's the Fringe Festival and then it's flying to Western Australia on Saturday and flying back to New South Wales on Sunday and squeezing a gig in the middle. But what I'm going to try and do is drop a couple of mini episodes towards the end of the week, which will keep you across the movies that I've seen that have just been released. You know, I had some thoughts on Cocaine Bear, I had, <laughs> which is a movie that I quite enjoyed. I don't think it was brilliant, but I had a good time. And so that would have been a nice thing to discuss. And there's been a few films that just haven't been able to 
squeeze in with what I had planned. So what I'm thinking of doing is when I do get to see a new release, just dropping a little mini episode, a little bit like the Chitter Chatter, probably a little bit longer than those episodes, but just something that uh, keeps you up to date with what's out there and what you might uh, like to check out over the weekend. But anyway, uh, Shazam! Theory of the Gods, uh, we will drop that in the next day or two and I'll let you know across the socials or maybe if you're subscribed, just keep an eye on your feed. Melbourne friends, I'm appearing for two nights or one night, one day only at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and as listens to the podcast, you can score yourself a big squid discount. So on the 16th of April, we're doing Big Squid Live. That's right. It's a live show, 3.30pm down in the town hall area. My guests Celia Pacola and Josh Earl will be competing against me to create the great Aussie movie list. Yes, we will come up with our lists and then you will get to vote and decide who has come up with the better list. And then on the 17th, I am bringing my award-winning, yes, I won an award, uh, stand-up show, Little Victories, for a one-off performance. And uh, that will be, uh, off the top of my head, I think it's like 7.30 on Monday. So I'm there for a Sunday, Monday, 16th and 17th. As listeners of this podcast, use the promo code podcast and you can access discounted tickets and the promo code can be used for both shows so to find links to these shows go to justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs that is justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs patreon subscribers keep an ear out over the weekend there's a new patreon only episode going up and it is an old episode of can you take this photo please uh, my Patreon subscribers know that uh, about uh, six to seven weeks ago, I found a folder with a lot of the podcasts I thought they'd been lost, and I managed to get my hands back on them, which is great. And uh, not all of them. Uh, there was a lot recorded back in the day, but still quite a few. And I've been uploading some of those old episodes. So there's one already up there with Ben Elwood. There's another one with Tom Gleason, and this next one stars Will Anderson from 10 years ago discussing his writing process heading into that festival season of 2013. It's great listen, so look out for that in your feed or at Patreon over the weekend. If you'd like to join my Patreon and have access to podcasts like this, uh, works in progress, super discounts to live events, scripts and more, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton and you will find a tier that suits you. That is patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton. And if money is tight and you'd like to support this podcast, a top review on Apple Podcasts is always a super way to uh, help us out or even just suggest us to your friends. Okay, I'll come back at the end of the podcast to let you know what to expect next week. But now let's bring in my good pal, Charlie Hill-Smith. I'm here with uh, one of my genuinely oldest friends on the Australian comedy circuit. Uh, This gentleman was not only one of the first people I ever met in comedy, but more importantly was the first MC that I ever experienced who uh, did such a good job. He absolutely fucked me for many MCs throughout the next 29 years of my career is Charlie Hill-Smith. Do you uh, happen, off off chance, remember the first time we performed together? Yeah, I, um, I don't know about the exact night, Justin, but I, I certainly remember I remember those first few weeks yeah. of, of uh, starting uh, Bolt's Cafe in, in Rundle Street in Adelaide. And I remember you guys coming, you coming in, um, you and Damo, and uh, it was a. We were very young, very naive. Yeah. Um, but I, but I remember that you were you were funny. That's good. Nonetheless, that's yeah. good. It's they were glorious times because uh, because you don't know what you're doing. When something worked, <laughs> you'd be like, I, I don't know. But it was exciting that it worked. And when something, something didn't, in this. yeah, and when something didn't work, you'd be like. Ah, oh, well, I just won't do that again. And it was it was very uh, it was quite simple in many ways. And uh, the the opportunity to kickstart your career in a, a group of people that appeared every week in one venue with a loyal crowd that turned up to see you every week, 
like in hindsight, was a godsend because it was. you don't get that normally. No, it was an incubator, wasn't it? Yeah. it really, it really allowed us to um, to experiment and to sort of find our feet when we were we were very naive and uh, and um, you know writing jokes and performing jokes for the first time. Yeah, and and it, and it was very hit and miss, and it was slightly vaudevillian. We would uh, try out all sorts of different styles of material, <laughs> um, from sort of you know the childish. Um, Sex-based material to uh, ridiculous slapstick, yeah. To political stuff, um, and 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 we we would work together. Different comedians would would team together for different periods of time and do do little spots together. Yes, like people have heard me talk about uh, the duo I was in for five years, the Bunter Boys, uh, the Bunters, yeah, and my mate uh, Damien. He played Dougie. I played Jezza. We were brothers, etc. But uh, a little known uh, shadow history of my time in Adelaide was you and I playing Hamster and Gerbil Cunning, the Cunning Stunt Brothers. The Cunning Stunt Brothers, yeah, um, two two young fellas, um, fre- fresh from off the farm, um, had come down from Lyric, a very small town on the Murray, yes, uh, where, where they live with their very hairy mother, and um, well, yeah, really making making a go of it in yeah. the big smoke, yeah, stuntmen as well. <laughs> Yes, stuntmen and horse trainers yeah. um, with, with a terrifically unsuccessful uh, horse called um, Prolapse Uterus. That's right. <laughs> Man, it, it was just um, it was just a time of pure creativity, and it's also it was quite shocking to discover that that's a really hard thing to replicate as as you move on because you take it for granted. Yes. And, and actually took, took it for granted. This just sort of this sort of what this this well this um wellstream of of, uh, of creative juice that, that that we had as young guys because we it was all new and we were totally experimenting and, and there were no there were no barriers or limits. We didn't think that you had to be this, you had to be that. So it really did gush out guys alike in those early days, okay. didn't it? And and never had a bad idea. Like had heaps of bad ideas, but never realized <laughs> it at the time and just went for it. Never consider anything a bad enough idea that you wouldn't perform it. No, <laughs> not once. But it, it, but it is true there because there was a group of us. Then you would like you were performing uh, in uh, an impro group called the Bilbies on Heat with Bilbies Pete Monaghan and uh, Joe Coventry. Joe Coventry yeah. But then Joe Coventry would go and do sketches with stand-up comedian Tory Hodgman and Dangerous Curves. Dangerous Curves, right? And so <laughs> and it was just constantly. Um, mixing and matching, and oh, I've had this idea. Do you want to be a part of it? And that's right. And then, I mean, most people probably don't know that that you know that your first incarnation with the Bunda Brothers, you, you were a musical duo. Yes. And um, and Dougie would play um, guitar, and you would both sing, and and you you did uh, very funny, ridiculous songs. Yeah. Um, and thoroughly entertaining. And you know, to think now that that you started off doing that um, that musical thing seems. Um, Seems like a, a different life. <laughs> like a completely different life. I remember yeah. uh, because we were, you know, because you performed every week and because it was a return audience, so you had to do new material every week. Yeah, And right. uh, I remember after our first gig went pretty well, uh, you know, all things considered, uh, Jack said, hey, uh, Jack Smith, who ran the, uh, the night, said, do you want to come back? I remember going home that night and writing three pages of jokes. I was so... <laughs> inspired and then Brilliant. and then just kind of using them as jumping off points for the next like eight weeks and then and then jack saying hey do you want a headline and and we were so naive we were like yeah great oh man like we've got to now come up with a 25 minute set so we wrote like we we created completely new material new material like we repeated some yeah. songs but and that's when we did the bunter boys really shitty circus which was dougie had booked all the acts that jim rose circus had rejected yeah, I love it, love it. Like, <laughs> Mr. Lifto's sort of talentless uh, nephew. Yeah, yeah. He, instead of lifting things with his nutsack, he just kept stealing my wallet. Like, that was the... <laughs> but he just... It was like, oh, I guess that's what you do. So it was... Um, I look back on that time very fondly and, uh, and, and quite wistfully because to even work with people now, you know... Times are just more expensive and things are more stressful and people are they're not as free and easy with their ideas. It's always got to be leading towards something in particular. And- no, that's right. You know, and, and, and in that sort of in that beginnings, in that sort of uh, 
uh, creation period, um, you know, there's no limits, and 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 you don't you don't feel the pressure to uh, you know um, because you have no, you have no reputation. Yeah. Yeah, you have nothing to lose. Is the point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess that's maybe maybe we're just old men talking as well. Like maybe there's still young people no having fun with that. that. Boy. No <laughs> doubt, wizened. We are wizened old fellas. I know. How long has it been since you lived in Adelaide? Uh, I've been in Melbourne for twenty years. Yeah, um, yeah. Cindy and I've been here twenty years. Yeah, and um, and we go back go back regularly, but. Um, yeah, it's it's been a while, and look, it's still my home, but um, but Melbourne's very much my sort of cultural home, I guess these days. Yeah, having lived lived and worked worked here, and had a couple of kids who are now both just begun high school. Uh, so you know, it's, uh, <laughs> times have changed. Yeah, they they have. You still look great though. God damn it, it's it's, yeah, it's yeah, confronting well. to be honest. But uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, from the moment that we first started performing together, in, in many ways, I've always seen you as a bit of a Renaissance man because you were you're in the band Happy Davros, uh, and you, you yeah Davros you, um, with with the wonderful Phil Curry and uh, and Patrick Sterling yeah um, yeah and used to come to those gigs they were great uh, you moved to uh, you moved to Melbourne and then suddenly uh, it felt like uh, doc- making documentaries became your real focus for quite yeah, very much so and for twenty years. And you've been yeah, having still, it's still yeah, and having all this success, and now you're producing a comic. And what I'm really curious about is, um, what what part of making all this stuff do they have in common? Is there one kernel that you can kind of draw it back to? Yeah, very much so. It's and I think about that a lot, you know. And that's that's you know probably true of you as well, you know as you work in different styles within storytelling, it's fundamentally storytelling, isn't it? Yeah. Th- that we do. And uh, and for me, I guess the reason I moved from, from theatre and, and stand-up into documentary making was that I kind of felt like I wanted to tell um, uh, more impacting stories, deeper stories. Um, and as an Australian, I, I've always felt that, we needed to do a lot of heavy lifting in the storytelling stakes to to lift ourselves out of the the funk of of the of what the, what this country is and the the strange and dark history of this place and you know growing up in in South Australia you and I um, it was a very whitewashed story there we sort of um, we we didn't know any indigenous people um, i'm speaking for myself uh, um I, I didn't know any indigenous people at all you know not at school not at high school right not until i got to university did i start to engage with indigenous australia at all and so there was always this sort of strange feeling of dislocation with being an australian and even though i was born in the barossa valley under the big blue skies of northern south australia I always felt this sort of slight sadness and weirdness about the place, you know, the, the, the fact that all the trees had been cut down and there were no Indigenous people and they seemed to have been uh, removed, erased from the from the landscape. And so storytelling, I, you know, and it started with, with comedy, really. Comedy was the first space where it was really free to be able to come up with my own stories and express them in a space where it seemed... Almost anything um, uh, could go. Yeah. Um, and then documentary, I, I wanted to start addressing the the um, this feeling I had about Australia that we needed to dig deeper and tell stories about ourselves that were fuller and 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 perhaps real. You know, not this whitewashed um, pretend history that um, we were taught at school. Um, so yeah, moving from from theatre comedy into documentary and now to comic book um is a progression of that storytelling yeah that's about australia in particular yeah you know that's uh it's fascinating that you say that about uh growing up once again you know how we were talking about um you know where we started at bolts cafe and how you don't realize at at the time how lucky you are to be in that kind of environment the Mm. uh the, the primary school i went to which is no longer there but croydon primary uh like, I was weirdly a minority. Like, uh, it was yeah. I was surrounded by, you know, uh, Italians and Greeks, uh, but I was also surrounded by um, a lot of Vietnamese kids at my school coming over. Yeah. That that first wave of uh, people that were brought in after uh, through uh, 
Malcolm Fraser's policies, etc. Yep. Uh, right. uh, we had a lot of uh, Aboriginal kids at our school. We had Egyptians. Like you know, we had yeah. such a melting pot of. It's very unusual for a South Australian experience because yeah. you know, um, you know, a lot of South Australian uh, experience is very vanilla. Yes, and it's funny because that that's just how it was, and. You just you know you just lived it and you just thought that's what it was and then that's I went kid, absolutely and then I went to Woodville High and you know you, you still had uh, a broad range of backgrounds there but they when I look back on it they were more uh, in their own camps and I was uh, mm. I was a bit of a strange kid in high school in that and to be honest this has kind of followed me through into adult life I'd hang out with one group and then. Once it started to get a little bit, you know, infighty or whatever, I'd move on to the next. So I, mm. I'd spend three weeks playing cricket with the Aussies, and then I'd spend, mm. you know, a week playing happy sack with the Vietnamese kids, and then I'd hang out with the yeah. nerds and play Dungeons and Dragons for two weeks, <laughs> you know. So I just kind of kept moving, but they well, were, were quite lucky. separate. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to have that variety, and um, yeah, you know, I was uh, I was sort of pined for that in a way. I don't think I really knew at the time as a kid. Yeah. But I certainly felt it when I came into adult life and um, and I was an exchange student in Indonesia when I was 18. Yes. So I went from this very sort of homogenous culture um, and ended up in Java for a year as an exchange student. And from that point on, I suddenly realised that the world was a much more complicated and plural place than perhaps my narrow conservative upbringing in, in uh, South Australia had had uh, shown me yeah did you uh choose to go to java or was that were you no no i i asked to go to i mean being the sort of europhile that i was as as a young fella i asked to go to france italy and spain amazing and they said indonesia and i said indo where yeah and they said that's where bali is and i was like oh that sounds all right yeah but but i was in central java in a in a, a very hot super industrial big city called Samarang. Yeah. Um, like the only sort of white kid in a city of about 2 million people. Right. Not speaking any, uh, I didn't speak any uh, Indonesian and, and of course no one spoke any English. Yeah. Or very little, very little English in those days in central Java. And um, so that really blew me out of my sort of safe, bushy uh, upbringing and suddenly I was a minority and um, thank goodness because it, it totally changed my life. And, yeah. And, definitely put me on the track that I'm on, which has been this sort of cross-cultural storytelling yeah. track. Yeah. That's fascinating, isn't it? Why, but so I just need to ask, why did they suggest, like who suggested Indonesia? Was it the people who? Yeah, so the, 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 the exchange group were called AFS, which started after the First World War. It actually stands for American Field Services. Right. And they were the American Ambulance Service in the First World War. So, you know, the, the Americans didn't enter the First World War until right at the very end of the war when it was basically coming to an end. Right. Um, but but the American Field Service, the Ambulance Service, was a very important and, and big thing. A lot of amazing people went and joined the Field Service. Anyway, from that group, they, they realised that war was hell and, and that the way to, to perhaps stop it happening again was exchange programs. Right. To send young people to go and live in another country yep. for either uh, three months or a year. And so AFS sent me off and it was them who chose this. And, and they tried to find a family because they sent you know, like a thousand kids from all over the world from like, you know, 150 countries to different countries every year. They still do it. Yeah. And I think, I think it really is a wonderful, wonderful idea. Um, so they, they, they try to match you with families that perhaps have similar interests. And so they found this uh, family in, in Samarang in central Java called the, the Sawido family. Um, who were very cultural. Like my, my host dad was a was a doctor. My mum was a lecturer in law. But they were really into Javanese culture. So they were really into Javanese theatre and the shadow puppets, which is the way I'm called it, and um, and and the history of the region of Southeast Asia, the history of the, of the colonial period, the Dutch. So they taught me all of that and took me to and and um, took me to the theatre and to and sh- shadow puppets. And, oh yeah. You know, out, out eating the street food and. And, and to go and visit Borobudur, you know, the, the largest Buddhist temple in the world, which is right there in central Java. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, I was matched with the family, and n- not with the um, the language or the culture. They were completely foreign, but they found a family who that, who had a, a similar sort of like uh, love of art and culture. Yeah, and, and that that and they are still my Indonesian family, and I still visit them, and I've taken my kids to meet their Javanese grandparents. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's an ongoing love affair, which is a, an absolute blessing. Ah, oh, that's so sweet. You know, it, it, it's such a, like, it, it's so, uh, like, a, it makes sense naturally that it's almost like, um, you know, once you get to year 10, everyone should be sent off all over the world for three everyone. months. Everyone. Agreed. And then, totally. and it's, you know, once, once you do, like, most... Uh, most hostility comes from the fear of the unknown, right? That's right. Xenophobia. Xenophobia yeah. is, is the reason. And as soon as you are forced yeah. into a position of being a minority yeah. and of, uh, of um, humility yeah. um, and, and, also, and if you have to then force, if you can't speak a language and then you're forced into a space of clowning in order to get a glass of water yeah. or whatever you want to do, yeah. you, 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 you resort, you, you turn into a Marcel Marceau type character <laughs> who's using using physical action and physical comedy just to get along. Yeah, it's a great experience. Yeah, yeah. and and it um, it makes you realise that culture is a hat that we wear atop our human head. Yeah, and all, all of us have the human head, and we just wear different hats. Yeah, yeah, it gives you that deep that deep connection. Um, that, uh, that that is very reassuring, you know, to travel around the world and feel that there is this deep connectivity, um, and people are generous. Yes, and, and 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 they're proud of where they come from and their story, and they want to share it with you. Yeah, with great generosity, and that's that's beautiful. It's kind of overwhelming when people are people who have very little are just so generous. Yeah, with with their their, their time, their place, their family, their story. Um, they, they they want you to have all that, you know, and 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 when you see that, it, it gives you a real uh, feeling of connectivity and and some faith in the species. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, is that uh, the majority of the people in the spotlight are not worth it. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 there's a real ignorance around. I mean, if you talk about Indonesia, Australia, um, Australians don't know Indonesia, yeah. and yet here it is, Indonesia, the the largest Muslim country on earth, the um, the fourth largest country by by um, geographics on earth, yeah. our largest neighbour, a huge booming rising economy, um, the most multicultural country on earth, yeah. and yet we know very little about it and, and politically we engage with it in a very sort of old school, almost white Australian yeah. fashion, you know, where there's this still this sort of like archaic Second World War First World War, Second World War, the Yellow Peril yeah. from the North, um, um, xenophobia. Yeah, yeah, mm. uh, yeah. Just doing a little cultural exchange could just um, make things a lot easier. And also, it we, does. It, I think it would be better for education as well because you know, like, rather than have kids for five years stuck in, you know, the same rhythm, they're sent off for three months. And have to totally. spend time there. Then they come back, you know, shakes them out yeah. of that complacency, and also possibly gives them something more interesting to study in year eleven and twelve. A little, uh, a little satay ayam and gado gado diplomacy. Yeah, yeah, um, that's, uh, yeah. That's a when we get in charge, we'll implement this. This would be, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure everyone will be up for it. Uh, I, I, I could be the charge de faire of gado gado. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <Yeah. laughs> uh, your new comic, Crime Scene Australia, is uh, it's it's a phenomenal first issue that I've been reading. I've uh, had the luck of having it in black and white and in colour. Uh, before we get right into it, uh, where did the idea first germinate, and also uh, why a comic book? Um, so why a comic book? Let's address that first. So I grew up as a as a cartoonist yep. and, a, and an illustrator. Um, you and I have always sort of interacted in that sort of theatrical space of uh, of comedy and 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 our love of music and so on. But um, but I, I was always a, a graphic artist and um, and I was actually a sculptor. But I would rather, in, in, as a kid in class, I would I would just doodle constantly. Yeah. And obviously, mainly mainly it was cock and balls. But um, <laughs> the classics. <laughs> Cock and balls with a face drawn on it. Um, 
in fact, I had a character called Lefty Wangba, who, who was a, a cock and balls with a big with a big grin. Yeah, right. who I would who I would draw all over my school. People would say, "Oh, Charlie's been here." This is another drawing of Lefty Wangba. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so cartoon and um, love it. You know, uh, 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 grew up with um, with Asterix and Tintin, and, yeah. and obviously all of uh, all of the DC and Marvel comics, um, uh, but the war comics as well. I love the war comics, yeah. like combat, the, the little format, yeah. small format comics. Big fan. Read, collected them, read them, um, you know, uh, learnt um, fluent German, obviously. Um, the Germans, uh, I think the major expression in, in German is, mein Gott, these Englanders fight like Schweinhund. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, so war comics. Cut and paste. Um, Asterix, and, Asterix and Tintin. Yeah. Um, massive. And um, I think I learnt most of what I know about the geopolitics of the world from Tintin. Right. Uh, and and political satire and uh, and slapstick hilarity from from Asterix. Yeah. So yeah. So I grew up with that stuff. Loved that stuff. Um, used to make comics as a kid. Um, did a bunch of political cartooning over the years, bits and pieces, and had a few bits and pieces published. So then I wanted to make a piece about Australian history. I wanted to make something that was. Not not straight Australian history. Obviously, uh, it's, it's revisionist history. So going back and re- and telling the, the real story of history of Australian history, but I wanted to do it in a manner in a medium that could attract a new audience who wouldn't normally engage with Indigenous stories or perhaps wouldn't normally engage with Australian history. Yeah, but might read a a, um, a graphic novel or a comic book. Yeah, um, and so I wanted to mix a sort of a Gonzo style uh, with history. Um, and make and, and make a medium that's um, that's more more approachable to an audience who might possibly doesn't engage with that type of storytelling. Um, so that that's why a comic book, and also because comic books are an incredibly free medium. Yeah, comic books are are an incredibly free space to express absolutely anything. Um, you can you can get away with murder, right? Just like Australian history. Yeah. Um, so all of those things, and um, probably about fifteen years ago, when I was first uh, probably had been in Melbourne for about five years, I started hanging out with a, a local Indigenous activist here called Robbie Thorpe. Yes, and now Robbie's a Krautungalung um, man from the Gurnai Nation. Yes, here. he's a sorry, he's one of the people that, uh, along with uh, Carol Carpenay, uh, Carpenay, yeah, uh, help out with uh, what you have in the uh, credits as um, Indigenous protocols. So they're helping yeah. you, uh, what you can and can't depict. Is that right? And and what what correct. part of the history you're getting correct and what's slightly off? Is that how they're working with you on that? Yeah, that's right. So I've worked in documentary for um, for 25 years and have made a bunch of films in cross-cultural spaces and yeah. cultural protocols, um, the way in which you engage with a foreign culture, the way that you ask permission to be in their country and to tell their stories yeah. and then and, and everything that, that, that surrounds that process is very much a big part of sharing cross-cultural stories yeah so when hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And and I've made films in Indigenous Australia over the years and I've learned a lot about the right and wrong way of uh, storytelling in that space because the the history of Australian storytelling in that space is a colonial um, uh, story where... 
documentary makers, filmmakers, uh, writers would, would enter um, Indigenous Australia and just take the story and tell the story yeah. with absolutely no permission from the people whose story it was. Yeah. And this is certainly very true in science and anthropology in Australia as well. So when I started working in, in that space, and, and I worked on um, Rolf Tahir's film Ten Canoes yes. all those years ago, yeah, and, and, and I had a bunch of important jobs on that film, and one of them was to be the intermediary between the indigenous camp and and the white camp yep because we all camped out in, in the mwangi swamp up in, in arnhem land for almost two months yep and in that job i had to do a lot of this sort of work of of translating what people wanted trying to understand what people wanted but on both sides yeah and having to really listen to people and read between the lines read the subtext of what people were actually asking for because power affects what people ask for and the way that they ask for it. Right. And Indigenous Australians have been so smashed down by the white culture here that quite often they will disguise what they really want in a language that is sort of deferential or uh, or, or um, has been colonised in, 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 in a mental space. Yeah. So you need, you need to really read between the lines. And so... All of that experience, I realised when I was going to um, create this story with Robbie Thorpe, we needed to do um, cultural protocols on the comic book. Yeah, just just like you would do on a documentary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Robbie Robbie is a Robbie Thorpe is a very well known foreign brimstone activist here in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, he was a great footballer and a boxer, incredible storyteller. He ran an indigenous newspaper here. He's now one of the sort of godfathers of 3CR radio. Right. And 3CR is the oldest community radio station in the world. Right. Um, and, and Robbie's on there a couple of times a week doing his uh, his politics and indigenous culture show. So we started hanging out and I started going on radio with him, talking about my cross-cultural films in Indonesia and Papua New Guinea and indigenous Australia. And then one evening back at my place having a, having a couple of beers in the in the garden we were talking and he was uh he said oh look you know charlie this whole fucking country's a crime scene mate you know you can't walk more than 100 meters without walking across blood-stained earth in this country you know and um we started talking about the idea and i thought wouldn't it be great to write a story a crime scene australia that's yeah about a um a, 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 about a, a cold case TV show called Crime Scene Australia, where every week they dig up new stories from the frontier wars or from famous massacre sites in Australian history, and they dig dig into them like like um, um, like a, C, a CSI yeah type scenario, but it's you know Crime Scene Australia, and he loved the idea, so we sort of started developing it, and then um, yeah, then collectively we 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 wrote the first. Uh, um, the first edition, yep, which is called uh, Terra Nullius, and and that that goes from basically Captain Cook, seventeen eighty eight, the first fleet, through to about eighteen oh three, yeah, the beginning of the beginning of the of the invasion of Tasmania, and we're going to do eight of them, yep, and we're going to cover that time period from seventeen eighty eight through to today by telling the story that is, uh, in a nutshell, a, t- a, a Sydney-based TV show yeah. called Crime Scene Australia that tells these um, stories about the frontier wars on, on a weekly TV show but very quickly turns into a bloody ghost story. Right. And it's funny, The uh, it's it's pretty satirical right from the get-go. Like, uh, you know, the it, it doesn't... Ease you into it, like I think. Uh, I think it's the very first page, isn't it? That um, you draw the direct line between soldiers honoured in wars, uh, but the lack of memorials for all the uh, indigenous culture that have died over the centuries. Um, what I'm interested in is, you know, like the, the satire is there and the story is there. The uh, and I want to get into the artwork in a sec, uh, Ernie is a pretty fascinating character straight up as well because he kind mm. of, uh, you know, here's, here's a host who's doing this uh, CSA and, you know, 
being the man, but we learn very early on he's a compromised individual, a very flawed individual yeah. as well. Uh, wh- wh- where was the inspiration for Ernie uh, taken from? Was that a few different people, or yeah? So look, he, he's he's his name is Ernie uh, Ernie, um, uh, and he he is uh, he's kind of like uh, he's a he's a very colonised Indigenous man. Yes. He's a, an Indigenous man who uh, was uh, stolen or taken from his family by social services, raised by a, a white family yeah. and, and went to a, went to a private school, became a very successful sportsman, had a great sports career. Yeah. He's good looking, he's eloquent. Um, and he's kind of the token black man yeah. on Australian television. So, you know, um, I remember, uh, you know, Stan, Stan Grant, um, had that, that role for many, many years. And Stan Grant is this incredible Australian intellectual and social commentator. But he was like the only black guy on it. was him and Ernie Dingo. Yeah. Stan Grant and Ernie Dingo. Yeah. Um, were, the, were the token Indigenous fellas on, on Australian white television for decades. Yeah. Um, so this is the sort of um, the, the creation of, of this character. He, he begins in a very colonised space. He's a colonised mind. And... Um, you know, the colonised mind is not just the, the white people, it's Indigenous people. We are all um, smashed around intellectually and caged by the experience of slavery and, and fascism and, and colonialism. And obviously this country was created uh, under under those very stressful uh, world pressures. Uh, and this, is a, this is a white supremacist country. It was founded as, as a white supremacist country. So here's this colonised black man on white tele- television who is a drug addict, a sex addict, and profoundly disconnected from his um, Indigenous culture. Yeah. And as the story progresses, he goes on a outrageous arc. Um, and so in, in episode two, and I'm not giving too much away here, when the second edition, the second edition will be out later in the year, um, he begins the second edition in rehab. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, he quite clearly needs it. But he does <laughs> in this first me, but... one, and and it's it's you know this is where uh, you know the satire is uh, nice and juicy because you know there he is hosting this show, and then we do very early on uh, have a have the uh, hot female American producer getting angry because uh, a traditional Aboriginal man wanders onto the set and he's there because he is actually the traditional owner of where they're filming. And she's fu- mm. and she's furious because he's getting in the way, and he's 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 actually what they're talking about, and she can't quite clock that, you know. Yeah. She's just like, oh, he's yeah. ruining the shot, you know. And so the uh, the sides are set up very quickly within within a few pages, which is great. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, um, fundamentally in life, you know, I'd, I'd much rather be having a laugh than doing anything else, you know. As yeah. um, as serious as, as a lot of the, the material is and, and in all the films that I've made, a lot of serious material, but um, I like to I like to put a lot of sugar in to make the medicine go down, you know. Yeah. And and culture is the sugar if, if it's if it's comedy or music, um, art, you know, th- this is the sugar that allows us to swallow the bitter pill of of, of some of the history that we need to face up to. Yeah. You know, I think uh, one of the things that I think people find difficult i'm talking about uh just the broader mainstream population is that because things are presented in binary you know it it means uh it it, it ends up making it difficult to learn so it's like you, you two things can be true at once you can be you can be proud that you're australian and also learn that not everything's been great and we can do better and I, I, right. well, I think holding yeah. two thoughts in your head at the same time is a skill, not not just in talking about Australia, but in in the broader world that we live in. That you can like it's like yeah. you, something as just unimportant as seeing a movie and knowing there's two lines of dialogue that are a bit shit. It's fine. You can still love it. Yes, and and you know I think. Uh, it's it's very true of Australians that we it, it's difficult for us because we grew up with one bunch of cultural assumptions mm. that have proved to be completely untrue. Right. Um, 
I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to play a lot of soldiers, you know, and um, and uh, we, you know, the Americans were the good guys, you know, like right. we, we, we would play soldiers, and we always wanted to be the Americans, yeah. and the Americans were the heroes, and you know, reading those those combat comic books that I did, and and the films that I watched, and watching, you know. Um, American TV shows growing up, Americans were the heroes of my psychology. Yeah. And then as a sort of an 18-year-old, I started reading Chomsky. Right. And suddenly realised that they were diabolical imperialists yeah. who'd been going around the, the world uh, fomenting um, uh, military coups yeah. and murdering people for the last 100 years. And so this was like a psychological crash for me. I had to come to terms with this this fact that what I had always believed was actually not the case. And so it is a very difficult space for Australians, for us to to love our country, to love parts of our history, but then now we have to reinterpret it by digesting a whole bunch of material that is really difficult, dark, hideous, yeah, um, you know, murderous um, content. And there's this great little quote by... Stan Grant that I've got on the back of the comic book that says, um, I'll just, the second part of it is the important part. He just, he just says, Stan Grant says, uh, it's, it, it is possible to speak to a country's shame and still have love for that country. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the point. And, and, and look, we're not children. Um, we're, we're, we're old enough and, and ugly enough. We've been around the block enough now to, to deal with this psychological complexity. Um, but nonetheless, it's, it's really confusing. And I remember being that eighteen-year-old, you know, young young guy, and just going, "What's going on? How is this possible? How have I, have I always, in my heart of hearts, thought the Americans were the absolute heroes? Yeah. And they did, they did drive Hitler out, and they did, they were the heroes. And yet, what I'm learning is that they're this murderous regime who just go around the world creating absolute havoc, murdering innocent people, bombing the living shit out of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it it, it it takes it's a maturing. It really is. It's a it's a it's growing up, you know, culturally. Uh, America's uh, greatest achievement, which I don't think it even realizes about itself, was Hollywood, because Hollywood yeah. uh, perpetuated all those stories in yeah. easily digestible formats, and. Yeah, you know, and then it just becomes ingrained in the psyche, and it isn't until you start to dig into, you know, in, into it properly. I just uh, last year I read the, uh, auto, not the autobiography, the biography of J. Robert Oppenheimer, and that yes. is a mm. weirdly thrilling read, and also mm. fascinating when, you know, because you know the 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 race to develop the atomic bomb was because they were scared Nazi Germany was about to develop it and they were really close. Right. And when, when Germany didn't develop it and it was like, oh, we're, gonna, we're, we're actually going to get this sorted before them, uh, Oppenheimer's first thing to do, uh, inclination was, okay, well, let's share this with Russia and let's share this yeah. with everyone so there's no arms race. And yeah. the American military industrial complex thought, this was the worst idea that had ever occurred. And of course. then subsequently in that McCarthy era, even though it wasn't McCarthy, but in that McCarthy era, did whatever they could to tear this man down who was preaching peace, even though he was the man who helped develop this awful weapon. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, incredible story. Um, you know, and, and you know, the Hollywood thing, um, you know, um, the great line from the usual suspects that the devil's greatest trick was to convince the world that he didn't exist. Yes. So that's Hollywood. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's America's greatest success is to convince the world that they are the hero. Yeah. You know, that the devil doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the weirdly, um, you know, this is possibly overthinking it, but one of the weirdly confronting aspects of, uh, modern Hollywood is the superhero genre getting us back to comic books, and oh, the and yeah. it's the, the fact that it, that it's so popular and so successful is, is just outrageous. And it's and it's uh, if if you if you watch it closely, if you watch the Avengers closely, it's it's the military. Yeah. Like they've 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 taken this very simple yeah. uh, comic book 
idea, you know, low art of people with extraordinary abilities doing extraordinary things. And uh, this is, and and suddenly, like if you think about it, we spent ten years uh, hoping that uh, the Elon Musk Richard Branson amalgamation of Tony Stark would save the day. <laughs> That's a fool's errand, isn't it? I mean, it's really dangerous stuff, and it's such a puerile sort of uh, mental state. You know, it's that sort of teenage boy mental state of um, uh, you know, it's the um, the revenge of the nerds. You know, the the fact that the skinny. Um, you know, ninety pound weakling can become Captain America. Yeah. You know? um, uh, and and it, it is. It's very very simplistic and pu- and, and puerile. Um, and look, I love comic books and I love the some of the Marvel movies and DC movies. Yeah. Um, and you know, love love uh, some of the Batman stuff. And um, but nonetheless, it is really um, one of the more simple story constructs um or genres genre constructs of any storytelling really isn't yeah it? yeah well that's a, this is why one of the things that was thrilling about uh, reading your comic is because uh, i've uh, you know i've fallen out of love with them after decades uh it, mm. it, it was like you know i was a kid collecting them and then and then i was right i was at the perfect teenage years of my life <laughs> to suddenly discover alan moore's swamp thing Watchmen, you know, right. Dark Knight Returns, yeah. you know, all the, uh, yeah. and then being on the ground level to suddenly go, who's Neil Gaiman? You know, yeah. who's Grant yeah. Morrison? Like, yeah. who are these people? And then, and watch the field kind of expand, and which then yeah. also gave me, because they were kind of expanding my heads in the mainstream, that allowed me to discover Daniel Klaus. You know, uh, uh, stuff like uh, you know the the American Splendor, you know all of that kind of stuff, and 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 take me into these different directions. One of mm. the things that I love about this comic, which I'm drawing, uh, taking you on a long journey to get to, is uh, uh, oh, dear dear Michael's artwork. Uh, yes, Michael Comic. Uh, what a what a delightful man uh, who used to perform with back in the day. A very funny uh, physical comedian and uh, hilarious physical comedian and, yeah. and his artwork is uh ugly beautiful it's like ro- it's like that robert crumb kind of you can't stop looking at it and yeah. it's and it's showing all the complexities of a face and the and the the ways they can be exaggerated when uh, when they're expressing themselves when when you were working with michael did he did you have uh, things that you were pitching to him or were you giving him ideas and then he was creating artwork and then that was yeah. changing the way you would approach the story a little bit how did you work together so um, sort of nutted out the first draft of the of the story and yep. i drew the, i drew the first pencils yep um, and they uh, and then Michael reinterpreted the first pencil. So right. I, I can I, I can draw and, and draw quite well, but Michael draws beautifully. Right. He, he, he's just one of those people who has an exceptional line. Yeah. Just beautiful, um, beautifully composed, beautiful perspectives, wonderful expression. He's a very funny man and very super creative. And so always coming up with, with new ideas. So I gave him the first pencil drafts. And then Michael would... Um, redraw it and and you know 80 percent of the time he was right on the money like he'd come back and it was just better yeah this is the great thing about working in collaborative arts is that every stage of the process if you're working with the right people it really steps up and gets better and better each 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 uh, step because you so, so yeah, sorry so michael, to interrupt you have michael doing the art and then you've got heidi is that how you pronounce her name heidi, Ibra- yes, heidi, heidi ibrahim heidi, yeah heidi ibrahim is my one of my indonesian brothers yes so he, that exchange family that uh, that I was a part of. Yep. Hedy was my younger brother there all those years ago. And he's an incredible uh, artist. He's a very famous rock musician, actually. He's, he's lead singer of a Javanese heavy metal band called Power Slaves. Great. Who are, <laughs> who are like an enormous – they've sold like five million records right. in, in Indonesia. Yeah. So he, he's got long black hair and, and, and screams like Axel. Right. Um, yeah, but he's an incredible artist. So yeah, so Michael did the pencil drawings, yeah, and then Hedy did the ink, and then the and then another colorist was uh, Michael Sega Gumala. Yes, that's right. Yeah, who who is another Javanese guy, but he lives in Bali. Right, and he's a lecturer of um, uh, of illustration and um, and animation. Yeah, 
at a university in Bali, and uh, but a lovely, a lovely colorist, and um, the color work is. I'm, I was really happy with it because the black and white version that we initially did that you've that you've got a copy of is just it's brilliant, yeah. But it's overwhelming because the black and white is like this sort of this labyrinth maze that's just it, um, it's stark, like it's really. It, yeah, that's, it's, it's tiring to read. Yeah, that was the first one. And then I've got a, a copy of the coloured one here and it's uh, like it does kind of soothe you into it a little bit more, doesn't it? It does. It does. It, it serves the narrative. It, 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 it serves the story um, and sort of draw. it leads the eye to, to where, it, what, where, where we want you to focus on, yeah. the, on each cell. Yeah. I, know, so I interrupted you as you were about to say something really interesting. I'm sorry about that. The uh, You were saying that Michael... 80% of the time got it right. What, what was uh, the direction you had to give him for the other 20%? Um, Michael was such a creative thinker uh, that he invariably has ideas that are completely different to everybody else's. Yeah. Um, and so um, just, uh, you know, on, on the odd cell, he would sort of go off on some crazy tangent and we'd, we'd end up in some alternate universe um, that wasn't really serving the story, so I right. have to sort of bring you back, bring you back into <laughs> into the, the into the center. Come back, <laughs> um, but I really appreciate that. You know, I yeah. love I love that that um, creative audacity. Yeah, because sometimes it pops. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then sometimes you have to say, nah, but let's leave it here. You know, and but that's yeah. that's um, you know, getting back to the idea of collaboration. That's that's when it's humming, isn't it? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, you know, Michael and I have worked on lots of things over the years um, and we work well together and he, I know how to work with him. He knows how to work with me. Um, we don't uh, take that sort of stuff personally. You know, it's, it's, it's not, a, not a rejection of him as a human being just because I yeah. um, I don't like one of his ideas. Yeah. Uh, the fact is, you know, I like nine out of ten of his ideas. Yeah. And um, we just keep that free creative space. Um and and he certainly just put a lot of incredible creative juice into this comic book. Yeah, you know that's uh, <laughs> you just said that so casually, but I, I I don't think for for people who haven't collaborated before, how rare it is to be able to be in a situation where you're working with someone and nine out of ten ideas are great, and then the one idea, well, a lot of people will look at you as if to say, "Fuck, can't believe you just said that." And you're like, wait a minute! You said this was a free space to to pitch things. You know, you said, yeah, yeah. you know, it was um, like, uh, you know, I worked with uh, I worked with Sasha Baron Cohen on his live show, and huh. it was great because I was in this area where I was working with all these people from that he's worked with that have won Oscars and stuff like that. Wow! And you amazing. would and you would pitch ideas, and if an idea didn't land, it was fine. And, yeah, it, and, totally. it, and it was a really hard thing for me to learn because I'd go into my shell uh, initially yes. and then I'd realise it's fine, just have another idea. And, and that, that, that's, that's how it works, isn't it? You, you need to feel um, safe, yeah. uh, you know, lo- loved and appreciated to really, um, you know, uh, let, let your creative um, juices flow. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that comes from being in a, a welcoming, safe, fun environment. Yeah. Where, where, where those things are spelled out and and it's and, and everyone feels it and and then we then we can get uh, everyone's best ideas but it's also very easy to be in a situation where you do feel closed down because you know th- th- there's a, a level of um of non-acceptance or or, yeah. um, or, or judgment taking place yeah. where, where you can't you can't just let it all flow and, and let it all hang out mate sometimes people don't realize sometimes judgment comes in when you're talking to them and they're and you're pitching your idea they're looking at you like this and they're slightly not looking at you just a little <laughs> bit over your shoulder and you're like trying to move back into their kind of gaze and they're deliberately just kind of avoiding you at the same time and you think why am i here why am i doing this so uh so that's such a great uh position to be in uh, with with such a great team uh, hey we should uh finish up but i've got two things uh, that i want to get to uh one is where can people find the comic how can they get their hands on it yeah so we're in the process of negotiating some distribution deals but um with a couple of bookshop chains and stuff but people can contact me directly um uh there's, there's two places you can get it you can get it on amazon yep. uh, for, for, for kindle just crime scene australia yep by Char- charlie hill smith um, or they can contact me directly, um, and probably the easiest way is uh, on Insta at crime 
underscore scene underscore Australia. Yeah, great. Contact me directly, and um, yeah, and we're we're posting out um, uh, copies every day to people all over the place. But we're looking to get some distribution in place now. We sort of went away for Christmas and um, and got nothing done for a month, but uh, now back and uh, and because uh, we only we only launched the comic at the end of last year. Yeah. Uh, we had, had a launch here in Melbourne. Um, so, uh, yeah, people can, can contact me directly and I, I'll get a, a copy to them for 20 bucks. Yeah, I'll put the link up at, uh, you know, on the Patreon page and I'll also put the link up at the Big Squid Facebook page as well so people know where they can find it uh, easily. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Secondly, and this is probably the most important question I've ever asked you, but you've you've made these beautiful documentaries, you've, uh, you've performed uh, wonderful, inventive stand-up shows theater shows you've created this comic but where does all of this rank in telling a poem about jason donovan on hey hey it's saturday i mean obviously nowhere because um you know obviously the greatest night of my life um red faces um around the year probably the, the end of the great show hey hey it's saturday's incredible long uh lifespan yeah uh yeah i've performed um Performed a poem live, live to air. That um, well, I did two poems. Remember that night I did yes. Jason Donovan, Bong and Onigan. Yeah, he'll never sing a pop song again. Um, but I also did the Pauline Hanson poem. Oh yes, um, you remember? Yes. Um, I remember because uh, remember Justin when we, we were uh, comedians against racism. Yes, and and we went down to protest against Pauline Hanson and were attacked by Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah, so I had this poem about Pauline Hanson um, called "Get Back on the Grill," <laughs> and uh, and the, the producers of Hey 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 Saturday had said to me before the show, "Okay, look, we love we love your stick, Charlie. It's great. Yeah, all this funny funny jokes about ferrets. It's all very amusing. Yeah, but don't do that Pauline Hanson poem because it's not appropriate. Yeah, and, and Hey Hey Saturday would sometimes be live and sometimes pre-recorded. Right, and this night it was going out live. Yeah, so I thought fuck it, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Yeah, so I, I, I did my first shit of shtick, which was a whole bunch of sort of blah blah, you know, funny little bits, and got some laughs. And then I launched into this Pauline Hanson poem, and Red Simons immediately got up on the gong and was going to gong me at the, at the end of the first stanza. But I got a big laugh. Right. The audience loved it. And they got a big laugh, and so he couldn't. He, he was rubbing the gong, you know, as he used to. <laughs> staring at me and so i was feeling a lot of pressure but i finished the whole poem and got got really good laughs all the way through and then i was back in the great the green room um after straight after the thing and the producer comes marching in there with two security guards and just cracks it at me says i told you you couldn't do that fucking poem you stupid dude. get him out of here and so these two security guys kicked me off the channel nine lot in, in, into the dark melbourne night wow just yeah. like just the perfect experience. You d- it was great. You were told not to do it. You did it. It went well. You got kicked out. And and the, the, I mean, the only downside was I, I I came second in the show because the the person who won it was a ninety two year old woman who sang "I You Are My Sunshine." Mate, like so, who was going to compete against that? You can't. You can't. Yeah, That's you so can't. fantastic. Do you ever see? Do you ever speak to Red at Mario's down in Melbourne? Mario's? Yeah, because he's there quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't speak to him. I do see him occasionally. Yeah, yeah. I, um, uh, yeah. I uh, no, I've never, never spoken to him about it. Um, uh, you, you, about the fact that uh, that he almost gonged my Pauline Hanson poem back in the day. Right. You'll, uh, you'll have to get Limo to do an introduction. I actually think he'd be up for quite the chat about that. <laughs> Yeah, he'd, he'd probably enjoy it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Charlie, uh, you have always been a, a splendid human being and uh, congratulations on the first volume of Crime Scene Australia. I can't wait for the rest of it to come out. Uh, pass on my best to everyone, but especially Michael as well. They're doing such a great job. And, uh, yeah, you'll have to come back on when volume two is ready and we'll uh, we'll talk some more about it. Absolutely, Justin. Thanks for having me. Lovely to see you as always. Yeah, speak soon. Thank you to Charlie for being my guest today and keep an eye out for his brand new comic. I love supporting independent artists and they don't come any more independent than Charlie.
Next week, there will be a new Tudor Chatter episode. I continue our new Mission Impossible series with Adam Richard as we dive all the way into Mission Impossible 2. And then my guest, Beck Charwood, one of the co-hosts of Dude Cinema Podcast, makes her Big Squid debut talking about movies, her career and her upcoming live shows at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Let's finish today with a quote from former Australian of the Year and Australian football champion Adam Goods. I'm not afraid of confrontation. It doesn't have to be an argument. We all have a voice and they are all worth listening to. Have a great weekend. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.